Might as well jump. Go ahead and jump. Van Halen. Hello, 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 hello. Uh, welcome everyone to another episode of Felonious Pundits. I am your friend and pal, Kentad Svensgaard, and along with me, as always, your other friend and pal. Please say hello to Mr. AJ Mass. Wow! Hey you! Who said that? Baby, how have you been? Oh, <laughs> uh, can't you feel the record machine? Wait, no. I am just getting old and... I can't even remember lyrics anymore, AJ. It's at that point. I feel the worst that you've seen, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, this is a podcast about the television program Criminal Minds. Each week, we recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show. I have never seen uh, these episodes before, and AJ has seen each and every one. He is our grizzled veteran, if you will, and uh, he'll be bringing you that perspective so this week we are at the season two finale, Mr. Mass. Yay! Woo! Two down, thirteen. <laughs> dot 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 to go. <laughs> wow! And what a season this has been. Uh, yes, we are looking at season two, episode twenty-three of Criminal Minds. This is entitled rather ingeniously, <laughs> "No Way Out Part Two: The." evolution of Frank. And I have to admit, I didn't pick up on it last week uh, when you were saying the evolution of Frank. I got the pun this week as I saw the episode title on Netflix. It is evil as in evolution rather than yeah, evolution. I mean, it's, it's a stretch. Yeah. He was evil beforehand, but okay, Fine. Look, as far as uh, the bumps that we had to go through during this season as a whole, and I would say season two, better than season one. Uh, bumps in the road, absolutely. As a wrap-up to a season, I thought this did a really nice job of doing it. It's a fun episode. Uh, it revisits a lot of the episodes along the way, which is what you want. That's yep. And yet... And yet, you may not know this, but this was not supposed to be the season finale. <laughs> really? Interesting. Yes. Interesting. Uh, and we'll get to it. We'll get to it uh, at the end. But I just, it's just kind of fu funny how this works so well as a season finale, and it was really accidental. Yeah, I was going to say they did a really good job of uh, going back and reminding us of threads that they've uh, kept throughout the season. So... Very interesting. I, I'll be happy to get into that. So just to let you know, in case you follow along with these type of things, this show was uh, directed by Edward Allen Bernero and written by Simon Mirren, a couple of uh, old vets at this point on the uh, on the call sheet, if I, if I must say. I guess not the call sheet, the, the crew sheet. Yeah, you get towards the end of the season, you want your A-teams in there. Sometimes you'll slip in, like, you know, 
three to go. You slip in, uh, oh, hey, there's the rookies. You tuck them in, like episode five, episode 11, episode 15. <laughs> you know, give, give the newbies a chance. But you want to start strong and end strong with, you know, your, your, your A team with the first few episodes and the last few. I'm feeling like we're going to get to the point pretty soon where we see some of these uh, episodes being directed by the various cast members as they get a, a chance. I'm assuming that happens. It tends to happen on shows like this, I would say. Well, let's make that a prediction. All right, let's go. How many episodes will be directed by our cast members? Let's go. Get your prediction in. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, you want the prediction now? Yeah. Now, there's been zero so far. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we've got uh, about 280 ex- uh, approximately to go. So, uh, you know, there's there's your upper, upper bound. <laughs> let's give it a, a nice... Uh... A number, let's break it into two digits, and let's say 11. All right, we'll see what happens. I'm going to write that down. 11 directed by main cast. Because as we said, Charles Haig uh, appeared right. in an episode. We're talking the, the main, someone in the opening credits uh, named sequence. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, I love it. So just to let you guys know, this episode originally aired on may 16th 2007 and let's get into it shall we let's uh but before we can actually get into the episode of course we have to have a previously on which does flash us back to season two episode 13 where we meet frank the most prolific serial killer ever who managed to escape the clutches of the bau with his lady love crazy jane by threatening a busload of school kids He was a charming guy who loved his milkshakes and Jane, but otherwise a deranged, emotionless, sexually sadistic killer who liked to remove rib bones from his victims, which did number in the triple digits. That was a fun episode, too, of Felonious Pundits, so if you don't remember any of that, go back and listen to that episode. Anyway, we uh, get to our opening scene, and as mentioned in last week's three questions, (laughs) Gideon is at a florist. And he is completely inept, trying to figure out the appropriate flowers to to buy for an old college friend that he has a date with uh, later on this evening, and he's actually late for it. Uh, he's saying he wants something flowery, maybe purple, to the uh, florist. And there's this impatient dude behind him that must be having the biggest flower emergency ever, because... I swear, the sales lady just started talking to him two seconds ago, and the guy's already, all right, already, come on, get over, get it done. I'm like, calm down, dude. Uh, yeah, look, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I can't say I'm an expert at buying things from a florist, but even on Valentine's Day, you go in there, no one is this <laughs> yeah. upset. I'd, I'd like a flower. Uh, maybe, maybe... Get the roses! Just get the roses! <laughs> Come on, move! <laughs> yeah, I can only think that there was some life or death emergency based on this guy getting flowers. And if if we had an episode maybe following that guy, it might be interesting, but another show. Indeed. So, yeah, at this moment, Hotch does happen to call Gideon up and ask him what's going on. Gideon lets him know. Uh, but he doesn't admit that he's having a date. And he asks what kind of flowers should he be getting? Uh, are the roses too much? He finally manages to describe to the florist that he wants some button mums, those little <laughs> yellow flowers. You know, those weeds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And then she should add also some of that white stuff. Um, and he's talking about the baby's breath, of course. Yes, of course. I know what baby's breath is because my wife is allergic and therefore I cannot include it in any flowers. But I know that. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Gideon, I know that. <laughs> so, so he finally, after sort of sorting out his order, asks uh, Hotch what he's calling for. And uh, Hotch does have an issue. Somebody called Safeguard, who I'm assuming is some sort of government agency. Uh, they're requesting their personnel files and Gideon is like, yeah, uh, must just be time for our yearly evaluation. Uh, who, he doesn't really seem to care too much, but Hotch cares because it's actually six months earlier than usual. And they're requesting uh, personnel files of everybody. So they're clearly assessing the BAU. Maybe they're trying to redistribute funds because they've been making cuts in all the departments. And Gideon's like, so what are they going to take the jet? I like trains anyway. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think everybody on the team, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe their feelings about trains changed after L was trapped on one for an entire episode of season <laughs> one. <laughs> yes. But Hotch thinks it's more than that. He says they've had a tough year. What with what happened to Morgan in Chicago, Reed's issues. And, oh, yeah, L probably possibly killing their <laughs> suspect. <laughs> you know, that whole thing. Hotch is also saying it all adds up that something is going on because the only file they didn't request was his own. And then at that time, Gideon starts to bitch over the $30 price tag on the mums. And I kind of agree with him on that. That seems high even for 2007. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Although, how close is it to the deadline of his, <laughs> of yes. his date? He, he seemed like a desperate person, so perhaps, you know, jack up the price. I would agree, though. 30 for moms just seems a bit uh, harsh. Yeah. But he starts to, like, try to comfort Hotch when all of a sudden he sees a woman across the street. And lo and behold, it is Frank's lady love, Crazy Jane, who I will stop calling Crazy Jane. <laughs> but uh, some traffic passes by obscuring her from sight. And then when it's done passing by, she's gone. Uh, Hotch is like, what's up? Gideon is like, uh, I thought I, uh, never mind. And Hotch is like, yeah, we both need a break, dude. And also Hotch lets him know that button mums are something you would give to your mother. And then they <laughs> hang up. <laughs> which, you know, considering Gideon doesn't immediately throw the button mums in the trash, which is what I thought he was going to do. It's <laughs> like, all right, but he, he doesn't seem to intimate that this is romantic at all. Yeah. He is an old college friend, and maybe it could turn that way if the conversation goes a certain way. But it seems that he's he's like, it's just a friend. It's an old friend. I'm being nice. Right. So uh, all of a sudden, Gideon's phone rings again, and he sees the name Sarah on the caller ID. So he answers right away, just letting her know he's running late. But it's not Sarah, AJ, on the what? phone. No. Nope. It is our buddy, our pal, Frank. <gasps> and he starts to ask Gideon about his fascination with birds. And we can see Gideon looking fearful as he realizes who he's talking to. And the fact that he's called on Sarah phone, Sarah's phone can't be a good sign. He starts pleading immediately with Frank not to hurt her. She's innocent. And Frank goes on about how Gideon's bird thing seems almost obsessional, asks him if he's obsessional. 
And then he also asks if Gideon has seen Jane because he knows she's come, that she's come to Washington to find him and he wants her back. He hangs up and then Gideon, in a state of shock, drops his button button mums to the ground and we go to credits. And might I say, those button mums dropped in the most explosive way. <laughs> I thought, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure, it's slow-mo, but... You drop a bouquet of flowers, they hit the ground, you pick them up. There's still generally going to be a bouquet of flowers. These guys are like... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It was the destruction of his normal life. It's true. And, I mean, he's not going to need them. Uh, Well, he might might need flowers of a different sort, unfortunately. We'll find that out (laughs) soon. Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds. It's Criminal Minds. Thank you. I was waiting. We come back from our credits, and once again, Netflix captioners prove they can't tell Gideon and Hotch apart. Yup. <laughs> as they attribute this opening quote to Hotch, but it is clearly Gideon who is speaking. Uh, to be fair, Gideon is not in the next scene, and Hotch is. Maybe that's what the person who was captioning it thought, but yeah, Hotch recognize appears, the appears voice. next. So yeah, but yeah, they don't try to think alike. <laughs> Yes. Anyway, as we zoom into an FBI office, we do get the quote. It is, I choose my friends for their good looks, my acquaintances for their good characters, my enemies for their good intellects. Oscar Wilde. You do you, Oscar. (laughs) In other words, I mean, the quote could be summed up as no uggos. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Really, dude? Oh, boy. Uh, Hotch is in his uh, in this office, not his office. He's looking at some diplomas on the wall, which I'm glad because they identified uh, the woman he's talking to as Aaron Strauss. So I was glad that he looked at her diploma. I got to see a name right away. So I didn't have to think about it for the entire episode because I don't think they ever mention it. Yes. And I, I will, of course, this is not, you know, we don't like to spoil things along the way. But finally, Kintai. After two starts and stops in the first couple of episodes of this show's history, we finally have cast Hotch's boss. Uh, okay. A boss who will That's be with us for a little bit of, like, there will be some staying power here. In the very first scene, basically, of the show, on the tarmac, some strange FBI woman was like, well, Aaron, you and your team, and I'm going to be watching you. And then they had a second woman somewhere along the way. Aaron, you and your team. Like, finally, they said, you know what? This is who we want. This is who we've cast. Have at it, Jane Actinson. Welcome to the team. <laughs> yes, I, I was going to say, uh, character actress that I recognize, uh, Jane Atkinson. Uh, mainly, I recognized her from 24. That was the show. Sure. She also had a very, very brief Brief stint on a character that was supposed to be re- recurring on uh, The Walking Dead, uh, Georgie, with whom uh, Maggie leaves and joins her community for a while. Uh, but it was all off screen after the first initial meeting, and we, she never came back. So. <laughs> oh, well. You never know with The Walking Dead. Maybe they'll give her her own spinoff at some point. Well, that's a podcast for another time. <laughs> <laughs> Push over caps. Uh. <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyway, she is telling Hotch that uh, he chose the BAU because Hotch seems to be pacing back and forth and, and nervous about the goings-ons. 
goings on at hand, uh, obviously the evaluation that's coming up. And uh, he does pick up on the thread that we've seen in recent episodes about how, as the BAU, they are the ones that have to get to know and get to think like the unsubs. And that's the only way they can do it, because otherwise, how would they catch him? So Strauss goes, tells him to go on and tell him, uh, tell her what what happened on the uh, Friday after Agent Gideon called him. So it appears that most of this episode actually is a flashback of Hodge telling of Hodge telling Strauss what happened. So we cut to agents getting Agent Gideon's apartment on that Friday. Uh, Hotch is there. There are police, CSI, and detectives all over the place. There's blood on the walls. And unfortunately for Sarah, she is dead on Gideon's bed. Uh, there is no Gideon there, however, as uh, Hotch tells Morgan and the rest of the team as they have just arrived there. Gideon's cell phone is still there. It seems like he looked left in a hurry, and uh, he is actually a suspect. They do have six witnesses who saw him running down the street, covered in blood, carrying a gun. And Morgan is like, uh, obviously, duh, he's chasing a suspect there. Hotch tells them he was talking to Gideon just a couple hours before, that he was saying he was late for a date with his old school friend. But... BAU, they are under orders not to get involved with this case, conflict of interest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They won't be asked to help. They're just there to answer any questions the police may have. But they decide to do a little bit of on-the-sly investigating since they are there. Sure, sure. They can witness the things for themselves, get as many clues as they can before they get kicked out. I do think it's – this is such a television trope. Uh, look. If respected FBI agent Jason Gideon runs from his apartment with gun in hand and you go to the victim and the victim has not been shot, <laughs> we, will, we will discover that the victim has been carved up a lot. Okay, maybe you could presume that you'll take the FBI agent's word for it, that he was chasing after an unsub. I, it, like... This is not some rando. I understand, you know, the television one is like a rando person. Like, they'll never believe me. All they'll see is the blood. Okay, maybe. But this is respected FBI agent Jason Gideon. I mean, wouldn't he have a little bit of slack? I would think you would, AJ. <laughs> I would think you would. So Reed has already scoped out the scene. Um, he says uh, what happened to Sarah. There, She was eviscerated. Her... There were some internal organs that were removed, and uh, clearly the work of a sexually sadistic psychopath. Emily says this guy is well-versed with a scalpel. Clearly he's done this before. And Hotch tells JJ to use her phone to surreptitiously take as many pictures as she can and get them over to Garcia. We cut over to Garcia, who is wearing a black wig and... uh, (laughs) This is a bad wig. Yeah. Look, I, I, I love Penelope Garcia, and I, I love that you never know what kind of look you're going to get from her. But, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work for her. <laughs> yeah, she was about to go out and enjoy her Friday night. She mentions a cute guy from counterterrorism, maybe getting to second base. But we all know the clickety-clack job is always on call 24-7. 
And as Garcia starts getting in the grisly pictures from JJ, uh, she wonders where JJ is at, and JJ lets her know that she is at Gideon's apartment. Yeah, she's just going to have to call uh, Tony Almeida and cancel. (laughs) (laughs) We cut back to Gideon's. They've determined that there is no forced entry. Morgan starts to walk through what must have happened. We see him in the scene as uh, Sarah's over by the table, getting the wine, pouring the wine. Uh, She hears the door. She goes to let whoever it is in, thinking that it's Gideon. Uh, She didn't have a chance to defend herself. He came there looking for Gideon and found her instead. So she must have immediately been subdued. And uh, they go over how she was probably awake the entire time until she died. We see, you know, the point of view from her of Frank killing her. And they pretty much know what's going on at this point. The toxicology report they're going to assume is going to show high levels of ketamine in her blood. She's been opened up. Her rib bone has been removed. And in fact, they find a part of the rib bone in her hand. They all know what this means. Frank is back. And thankfully, thankfully, we quickly get there. Certainly just the fact that someone has been killed in Gideon's apartment is not going to tell you that, but they've all worked this case, so they should know immediately what the MO is. <laughs> yep. Only the only thing he did different this time is he left the rib, rib bone in Sarah's hand. So Hotch says, well, this this isn't done for Sarah. This isn't done for Jane. This is a message for them specifically. Yeah, he, he's there. He wants them to know he's there uh, because he's there with a purpose, clearly. He he already said it. I want her back. <laughs> mm-hmm. We do a quick cut to Garcia. She's focusing in on one of the pictures that JJ sent. It's a picture of a notebook that a cop has in his hand. And uh, so Garcia sees something in it that gets her interest. Meanwhile, we cut to Prentice saying that they need to tell the police what they found. But Hotch is saying, ho, 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 no, we aren't going to be doing that. We know for a fact that Frank didn't leave any evidence behind. Anything they find here could probably only make Gideon look suspicious. Morgan says, as long as Frank is out there, they don't have time to stop and explain things to the cops and wait for the cops to, you know, figure things out. So Reed brings up that everything that Frank did last time, he did this for Jane. Hotch says, well, things have changed this time. Um, There is some speculation that maybe Jane is dead. Maybe he killed her. So Morgan and Prentice leave. They try to figure out where Gideon went. Uh, Hotch gets a phone call, and it is Gideon. And Gideon is saying, oh, I nearly had him. I saw him on the street just walking. I saw him put something in the trash. There were too many people around. I couldn't get a clean shot. Hotch asks Gideon if Jane was around. Gideon says no, but he did see her in the street just before Frank called him. Um, Gideon feels guilty, obviously stressed out because it's him that Frank came for. And if he hadn't have been late, Sarah would possibly still be alive. Gideon says he's going to come in and Hotch tells him, no, if you do that, we'll get stuck in an interrogation room. By the time cops figure out things, once again, there's going to be more dead bodies. They know who Frank is. They know what they just don't know why he's doing this. Uh, Gideon says, well, to if he wants him to look into it, he's going to need his files. And Hotch says, well, he'll get Garcia to bring them to him. 
And Hotch tells him to find someplace quiet where he can work. And by the way, Jason, dot, 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 will get him. Confident. Confidently says, you know, like, we'll yes. get him. Uh, he's got no reason to be confident right now. <laughs> no, not, none whatsoever. I, I get it. You want to calm, calm Gideon down, but it's like, Hotch, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Don't go making promises. That'll come up again in a few <laughs> few minutes. We'll, we'll get into the, another promise. Mm-hmm. Uh we cut to the street outside Gideon's apartment where the team is, uh, and they've figured out that uh, Frank had to come out this way, but he must have blended in with the with the crowd somehow. And Reed says, yeah, but he would have been covered in blood after all that happened. But Emily points out that he could have indeed just cleaned up, taken some clothes from Gideon's closet, and just walked calmly out. But they go, yeah, but he didn't leave any trace of any kind of evidence at the crime scene. Uh, that's exactly when Hotch walks up with a bag, presumably filled with the said evidence from Frank that we're assuming he took from the trash can. Uh, Hotch says Gideon said he dumped it en route. He lets them all know that he did talk to Gideon and Gideon is safe. Uh, they decide that what they're going to do is give the evidence to forensics. They're not going to withhold it per se. They're going to give it to forensics and let them work on it. In the meantime, they're going to work on trying to find Frank. And this makes perfect sense. This part of it is like they they would have to find Frank anyway. If they, you know, they that's that's an active case, quite frankly. Frank mm-hmm. uh, wandered off and they still he still, you know, got probably uh what? 40 uh, kidnapping charges <laughs> hanging on him from the school bus, not to mention all the murders they know about. So them pursuing Frank is legit. So, yeah, here mm-hmm. you go. Uh, we don't we don't know for sure this is Frank's bag. I found it in the trash over there. So I'm assuming it's Frank's bag. You figure out who it is and tell us, and then we'll say, oh, yeah, we're already looking for this guy. Yeah. Yep. yeah. There you go. So it makes sense. This next part doesn't make the most sense in the world to me, but okay. Uh, a, a kid rolls up on a skateboard and this is sometime I'm assuming later in the evening, late evening, but okay, that's fine. I can assume that a kid is out skateboarding. So he asks for Morgan and they're like, what? And the kid says his lines perfectly <laughs> without messing them up. Yes. He says, <laughs> he says, they say beauty can cover a multitude of sins, but underneath it all, and then we see a, a flashback of Frank saying this to Morgan in the diner, we all look exactly the same. Uh, Morgan, I, Morgan recognizes that that's what Frank said to him in the diner. And then the kid says, give me Jane or I, I'll kill them all. So they realize that Frank thinks that they have Jane. Uh, so they've got to find her. The kid asks for his 10 bucks. Nobody must have had any cash because they all start looking around like maybe Frank is looking at them now. And I don't feel too bad for this kid because I'm sure he got scale for under five because he got some line, <laughs> lines in there. Yeah. Still got- <laughs> this, this, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's a little silly that uh, the kid is going to memorize all of that. I, I, will, I will grant you the times, you know, Gideon Flowers, it's still daylight. Uh, he, he walks in. Oh my gosh! He grabs his gun, runs, and is looking for Frank. And Frank's probably just waiting to make sure that Gideon sees it. When he sees Gideon, then Frank walks away. You know, like I could see that timeline-wise, this does work. But I mean, Morgan always seems dumbfounded 
when these weird things happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, wait, what? Kid, what? Huh? Huh? What? Huh? <laughs> yeah. And I think ballsy, ballsy kids welcome. Uh, Agent Morgan with the FBI? Yeah. If you don't give me back Jane, I'll kill them all. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? <laughs> this kid, like... For $10? <laughs> the man said to me to say this to you. That's all he had to say at the beginning, and I would have bought it so much more easily. <laughs> yes. And thank goodness also, like, who told you to say that? Where did it? Because we know it's Frank. So they, they did yada, yada over that part, and that's fine, because we didn't need for them to have the scene like, who who told you? Who was it? Was it? <laughs> yeah. Just right. Like, where'd Frank go? Frank, the guy who told you, where is he? Like, th- that would have been fine, too. But yeah, looking around stupid, like, ooh, 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 ooh. It just killed me that he said the lines perfectly. I'm like, uh, no kid is going to say it perfect. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right. But anyway. Again, again even if he could have said it pretty perfectly, but with a little less confidence. And just with the, the caveat, the man told me to tell you. Yeah. Like exactly. Agent Morgan, what do we look like on the inside? <laughs> For be it to this on this very day. Is this my whole soliloquy? Yes, tis it. <laughs> uh, anyway, overall, this is a great episode, and so I'm gonna <laughs> give him no, a pass. This is why we one. nitpick. We nitpick because even in the great episodes, <laughs> you know, really entertaining episodes, it's just like okay, really. <laughs> so next, we cut to Garcia in her car, and she is nervous as hell while she's no waiting wig. for Gideon. No wig. She's taking the the going out and getting some wig off. <laughs> right. Still got the the rest of the outfit on, but the wig is gone. But she's going through scenarios. She's speaking them out loud of of her getting murdered while she's uh, waiting for Gideon (laughs) in this parking lot, this dark, scary parking lot. And, of course, when Gideon actually all of a sudden appears and gets in the car, Garcia gets frightened and gets scared and gives a little shout. But uh, Gideon just tells her to just drive, just drive. We cut back to Hotch and the others, and they're saying, okay, if we find Jane, we're going to find Frank. Uh, they recognize how he arts outsmarted them last time, and he didn't give them any options last time. He's not going to give them any options this time. Reed mentions the, the message from him, I'll kill them all, and wonders who, who he's referring to, which is a good question, Reed. Who could it be? We cut to JJ at the office and Garcia has had all of her photos printed and has pointed out the notebook that she was looking at before. And we see JJ starting to study the photo. We cut to Emily, who's gotten a call from JJ. She tells them about the notebook and mentions Garcia noticed something. It looks like the first page has been ripped out. We'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> you can only see what was left on the page a little bit on the on the side. And you can see, uh, if you look at it, it, there's numbers going down the side, one through eight. But it, the, the notebook is definitely in Gideon's writing. She mentions it looks like some kind of list. Hotch and some other folks on the team know exactly what this is. This is Gideon's murder book. It's what he uses to remind him why he does what he does. It's a list of all the people uh, that he's ever saved. It has names, dates, their personal details. And now Frank has this list. So they go, oh, I'm going to kill them all. Reed says, oh, this must be who he's going after. 
at least the ones that are local to this area, which makes sense. So they tell JJ to start looking for all the possible targets that could be in this area. She, they need to call them and warn them. They do decide not to tell Gideon that they need to find, because they, they just need to find out who Frank is first. So they've decided not to tell Gideon. Okay, fine. It just seems convenient to me, AJ, that Frank, from what we saw there, only ripped out the first page and that all of the people who happened to be local in this area happened to be on that first page. Well, no, I'm I'm going to uh, play the devil's advocate here and say, first of all, you are correct that if he's been keeping a list in his murder book of all the people he saved in the course of his decades-long career. <laughs> yes. There is no way that 1 through 15 on the list would be the ones from this recent season of Criminal Minds. Right. <laughs> would not be on page 1. I will grant you that. However, even though it's his murder book, he probably, having worked decades, has murder books. And therefore, I could see him... Ha- I could see him... Gideon strikes me as the obsessive type who might start a new book each year. And if we're going to play in that kind of ballpark, I could see him only having this year's cases, this season's cases in his book. And therefore, everyone he saved this year might be on that list. Or, you know, so the last two years. What, you know, like I, I could see him, he, he finishes the book. He only carries the most recent book with him. Even though he keeps all the books, he only carries the most recent to add in the next names. So I can give you the benefit of the doubt, the leeway on that. Plus, it's not like Frank did go after all of the people. He went after a couple of the people on this list. So... Narrowing it to local, narrowing it to the most recent two years, give or take. I will allow it, especially because when we do see the pictures, they will eventually very soon put the pictures of the so-called uh, local potential victims. You know, one of them is uh, Anton Yelchin uh, from the episode where, you know, I'm going to kill people. You have to stop me, Reed. You have to stop. You know, and one would argue Reed saved him. Not Gideon, but even though it was his case. But he's on the list, apparently, and we know he's kind of under in custody, under in a mental watch kind of situation. So, yes, it does make sense. I'll give, I will give them creative license on this. Yep. And, and also, that's assuming he took nothing else from the house. As we'll see a little later, he took something else anyway. So maybe there were other clues, you know, scattered about. Yeah. So. I can I can give it to him, but it still made me think about it just a little bit. I think the most <laughs> was un- convenient. Yeah, the most unrealistic part of this whole thing is that Garcia would have noticed this in the picture in the <laughs> yes. first place as <laughs> something to report. In. Yeah, <laughs> and zoomed in on uh, just the perfect view. Yes. <laughs> so next we cut to Gideon, who's uh, washing blood off of his hands, and his mind is flashing back to images of Frank. Uh, the instruments of torture he used on his victims, just a whole quick series of quick cuts to reflect that whole relationship. Uh, Then we see him and Garcia walking into an office and it's his old buddy that we've seen before, whose name I don't recall, 
if we ever got, but it's his friend who works at the Smithsonian. Yes. Yeah, it's it's Gideon's Super Bowl room. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, So, yes, we're back at the Smithsonian Institute after Gideon's friend gives a few little, gets his quick few little lines in about, you know, uh, don't worry about things uh, and tells Garcia to look out for him. He, he, he pieces out. Uh, Garcia starts setting up the room, putting out all of Gideon's files and Gideon is looking around the room. Yeah. Probably feeling odd that it's not the Super Bowl uh, <laughs> going on right now. Yeah. This is Friday. I'm only here on Sundays. Uh, yeah. And which, which, which actually is, is interesting because if he, he only goes there annually on a Sunday, which means this friend of his is probably the only guy who ever knows he's in there. And yet, as he leaves, the guard says, don't worry. Security has been informed that you're here. Like, why did you tell people that he's here? <laughs> yes. People in law enforcement, even law enforcement adjacent, they, if anyone comes here, have you seen Gideon? Yeah, he's downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> he's here. <laughs> yeah, so Gideon is looking around at the various Predator posters that are on the walls. And he sees our old friend, the Turtus Polyglottis, a.k.a. the Mockingbird. And uh, he starts to talk to Garcia. And I'm surprised she, you know, didn't say what the what. But uh, he starts to say, uh, you know, these Mockingbirds, they provided insights into the origin of syntax, the essential first steps into the evolution of the human language. He starts to explain to Garcia that if they stand a chance of stopping Frank, they're going to need to understand the evolution of Frank, bing, what bing, created bing, bing, him. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm counting kinda. as a title. Just the fact that the marketing <laughs> team decided to go, evolution is not that. <laughs> That's fine. That's the title. Evolution of Frank. <laughs> so now we cut back to the BAU, and uh, JJ has taken the pictures out of Gideon's offices of, of, of all the possible new targets, and uh, she's given photos of Frank and Jane to the media. And she's liaisoning with the uh, Washington Police Department. I just love watching JJ liaise. (laughs) Yes. Hotch tells JJ that if they find Jane to make sure that they're going to be the first ones to interrogate her, they don't want to let the police get her. So (laughs) Morgan says, is that wise? And he says, it's not wise, but it is my order. Whatever they do, they're going to have to bring her there first. She's the only one who knows who Frank is. Uh, Reed comes in saying, okay, we've narrowed it down to nine possible targets so that everybody's going to grab a phone, start cold, cold calling these people, let them know that they could be in some danger. Molly, girl. Uh, <laughs> we cut to the house of Rebecca Bryant, and uh, I looked her up, but you may remember from her immediately. I had to look her up until they gave us the flashback. Uh, she was in the Fisher King episodes of the show. She was the one that was held captive for years in, in our killer's basement. And, there uh, are rules! Exactly. And, and the BAU team did manage to save her. Which is really disappointing now because, <laughs> unfortunately for her, she is with Frank. Uh, she thinks she's with Agent Gideon because Frank has come there and he said the BAU would like to follow up on their victims. And uh, she also mentions at this point, oh, I don't like to think of myself as a victim. But she is glad to have a chance to meet Agent Gideon face to face since she was he was the only one on the team that she didn't meet. Convenient. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also a little weird that Gideon would put her in the murder book that I, you know, these are the people I saved. If 
He didn't meet her. He never, never talked to her. <laughs> yeah. Well, as we see, Frank has a letter that she wrote. So maybe she wasn't in the murder book. Maybe he was just going off of the letter. Maybe. Although he was still on their lists and they had her well, name. They, so. well, you know, they didn't know who was on Gideon's list. They just looked for local people who they... Yeah. We, can, we can wiggle our way around it. It's clunky, but it nothing prohibits this from working. <laughs> so, all of a sudden, as they're having a conversation... Frank starts to talk about how a recent study of rape victims showed that a high percentage of them are raped again, <laughs> which <laughs> rightly gets uh, gets Rebecca's spidey sense a tingling a little bit because while all of a sudden is Agent Gideon, quote unquote, talking about rape, she was not raped, which she says several times as he continues going on over about rape victims and fear and she says look i'm not i haven't been raped and he says yeah but you are on a list and rebecca's like what and frank says well a list of lives saved so what happened to you rebecca your letter was very non-specific yes he does have the letter that she wrote to agent gideon and then frank gets completely creepy starts to ask her what it's like to feel fear he wonders what that's like and the phone rings and it momentarily breaks up the tension. Uh, uh, she, Rebecca leaps up to go get the phone and Frank cracks, well, saved by the bell. Rebecca picks up the phone and it's JJ. And the first thing that Rebecca says to her is, he's not Agent Gideon, is he? And JJ's like, what? And Hotch speaks up immediately, says, Rebecca, leave the house. They tell her to just walk calmly to the door and leave. But before Rebecca can do anything, Frank has come up behind her, stuck her in the neck in the, with the needle of, I assume, ketamine, as that is his M.O. And then Frank gets on the phone saying he regrets to inform them that Rebecca's name needs to be moved to a new list. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's cold, but, but it works. <laughs> You want, you want your killers, you want your bad guys to be good at being bad because we are watching this for entertainment purposes. It is not real. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there was there was really nothing. Rebecca, as soon as she let him in, it was a game over. Yeah. There was nothing she was going to be able to do. So no one can feel bad uh, that they didn't do enough to save her in that moment. Like, yeah, as soon as he got creepy, it was over. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Hotch says, look, we don't have Jane. And Frank says, well, he's not going to stop until he has her back. And then he hangs up and we go to a break. And I I just felt kind of let down, like, man, you guys saved her. Like with the people in this episode, like you saved them and then they got killed anyway. And, it hurt my feelings. It, but that's what makes him a good bad guy. It's like, you know. Yeah. It, it it works. It's like, well, how how am I going to really get to the BAU? I could kill new people, sure, but if I kill people that they've saved, yeah. Uh, so we come back from break, and Morgan is kicking down the door Yo, of Morgan. Rebecca. Yeah, <laughs> hey, he had to would, get one in. It would not be a season two season finale without Morgan getting to kick down a door. Yep, uh, he kicks down the door of Rebecca's apartment. Frank is not there. It's just the aftermath. 
of another brutal murder as they go into Rebecca's room and find her body on the bed. She does have a note in her hand from Frank. It's telling them 7 a.m. Union Station. I love the fact that he actually put a written note in her hand because of the last location. He's like, it's a message from Frank. It's a rib. He wants us to know. No, no, this is actually a message from Frank. (laughs) Yeah, it's very specific. I need them to know exactly what I need them to know. I'm not going to be oblique about this. So Reed points out that all eight of the other targets that they had on the list were safed and accounted for. But they figure that Frank has to have something up his sleeve because basically what happened last time, he's going to do something to make them trade Jane back to him. Meanwhile, JJ calls to let them know that she thinks they found Jane. She mentions some beat cops picked up a woman who was ranting and raving about needing to talk to the BAU and apparently she assaulted an officer. She's uh, over at the jail being processed right now. And may I just say, wait, JJ thinks they picked up Jane? <laughs> there's a, there's yeah. a woman going around like, I need to talk to Agent Gideon. I... Wow, she sounded crazy this lady. Hmm. We know they picked up Jane. <laughs> right. So meanwhile, the team is talking about what did Frank do last time? He went after... Our most precious resource, our children. <laughs> and uh, Hotch tells JJ he'll have Prentice uh, call her to find out where to go to pick up Jane. And the rest of them are going to meet back at the BAU. And JJ did hear the part they were saying about the children. So Hotch tells her to look again at uh, all the cases, especially ones involving children, and find out if anyone that they had saved happened to relocate to the D.C. area since their case. So uh, J.J. will get right on that. We cut to Garcia and Gideon over at the Smithsonian. Garcia is feeling hopeless. They don't even know Frank's last name. And Gideon brings up Jane, how Frank was prepared to risk everything to have her. The question is why. He says, among all the people that he killed, there has to be one constant, one repetitious act that was a break from the pattern, and that Frank probably doesn't even realize he did it. We then cut to Jane. She's freaking out in a general holding cell, annoying all of her cellmates. The typical angry jailwoman <laughs> cellmate trope that you see that are getting annoyed at Jane. If you don't Jane. shut your ass right now, I'm going to beat the crap out of you. <laughs> exactly. Jane doesn't want to be there. She wants to leave. Prentice has arrived She's telling uh, Jane that they're going to bring her to Agent Gideon. Uh, The the angry cellmate is like, oh, FBI, and seems to be impressed by that. And Jane does give a little dig like, I told you guys, told y'all. So, yeah, so they're going to take Jane away. Jane says to Prentice that Agent Gideon was right. Frank can't feel love. He wants to, but he can't. He's coming for her, though. And Reed says, "Uh, guess what? He's already here. Cut back to JJ. She's going through a bunch of case files. I'm assuming they're all the relocations or she's checking for the relocations. Uh, She does find one particular one and she says, Tracy Bell. I did a quick search on my notes to remind me that Tracy Bell was the little girl in season two, episode six, the boogeyman episode. Yes, with our uh, kid killer from Shameless fame. (laughs) Yes. And, uh, Go back to listen to that, Thelonious Pundits, if you want to get a a reminder on Tracy Bell. Also, a quick reminder, she is one of the Fanning sisters. All right. So anyway, 
JJ calls Hotch to let them know that uh, the Bell family relocated to McLean, Virginia about eight months ago. And it has to be her. She's the only uh, target right now that is unaccounted for. And this one, I will at least say, would, would Gideon have known about this? I don't know. I don't know if Gideon would have known about a relocation. That seems a bit of a stretch there. So how did Frank know? If none of the BAU really knew, but we'll let it go. Yeah. So we cut back to the interrogation room at the BAU. Jane is there. She's smoking a cigarette. And she's wondering out loud if she did the right thing uh, by coming to them. Emily says she did. And outside we see Hotch and Morgan coming back. and, And Reed is there. And he lets them know that they have Jane. Hotch is like, oh, that's good news. And Reed is like, not entirely. And we cut back to Jane saying Frank wouldn't hurt anyone, not while he has her. And they remind her that Frank doesn't have her. They do. Uh, They ask her why she left Frank. She says he changed, just like Agent Gideon said. And Frank was really angry with Gideon because he knows Frank better than anyone else does. Hotch says Frank wants Gideon to stop him doesn't he? And she says, if anyone can stop him, Gideon can. And Hotch says, well, not without you, Jane. And she wonders, what does that mean? We cut to Gideon and Garcia. They're talking the case over still. Gideon says, "Uh, we've got to consider the three factors of determined behavior, bio, psycho, and social. At At first, Garcia isn't understanding what he's saying, but Gideon explains Biology, genetics gave him the predisposition. Second factor is psychology. He's clearly a psychopath. And finally, social, the life experiences. Garcia's like, okay, we put them all together and? And Gideon says, we got to think of Frank like a living murder weapon. Genetics has loaded his gun. Psychology has aimed his gun. And the environment is what's going to pull the trigger. And that's why the victims are so important to study because they all reflect back onto the killer. Uh, this is just another chance to say, and here's how we profile. <laughs> you know, it's a, but it is at least doing it in a different way. And uh, I mean, if Garcia can understand it, then I'm sure everybody can understand it, right? Yeah, because Garcia is always like, "What the what now? What the way what now? I just go, I yeah. just click and clack. I'm a genius click and clack, but I don't understand words." <laughs> <laughs> But no, Garcia gets it. She says, okay, he's killed mostly women. And since he used a trailer, their occupations, locations, and ages are all over the place. So Gideon has her plot out the agent, the ages of all the victims. And so she clickety-clacks. She says, okay. And she has her nice little chart, bar chart. Uh, he killed 43 people in their 50s, 51 people in their 40s, 64 people in their 30s. And 12 people in their 20s. That's 170 people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Frank Frank has been evil. He's very prolific. Gideon points out the number 12 and he thinks that's odd because usually the number of the victims rise as the age falls. So it's a break from a pattern. And why? And Garcia says uh, he wasn't attracted to them. And then she thinks, oh, no, that's stupid. He doesn't feel we've already established that. But Gideon actually thinks she's on to something. And she's like, oh, good. What? (laughs) And he says, so the only one he didn't kill. 
Jane. She was 22 when he kidnapped her. He kept coming back to her, giving her gifts, making sure she was okay. He says, mother protects her children. In Frank's case, it was vice versa. He didn't kill Jane because he sees her as his mother. So he can love in a kind of attachment to mommy sort of way. So it's it's a perverse, misguided, misdirected kind of love. So, okay. It explains a lot. Mm-hmm. So now we cut back to the BAU. Hotch is asking Jane where Frank is from. She says Manhattan. He used to always talk about it. He lived with his mother, and she has the name Breitkopf, Mary Breitkopf. He uses his mother's maiden name himself because he never knew his father. He talked about his mother constantly. They ask if Frank tried killing anyone else, but Jane starts just instead wondering if it was wrong of her to love Frank. Emily says, hey, you don't choose who you fall in love with. And they say she thought she could change him, and maybe... She did for a time, but eventually the desire to kill must have overwhelmed her. And Prentice asks her who he tried to kill. She says her, but then he stopped himself. They had an argument. She screamed at him that Gideon was right. And then Frank became angry. So she ran to D.C. to find Gideon. But she thinks Frank won't kill again as long as they're trying. he's trying to find her. Uh, and they let her know, hey. Um, <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> Sorry, but he already actually has killed, and uh, he's not going to stop until he gets you back. Not to put too much on you, Jane, (laughs) (laughs) but this trail of bloody bodies we found kind of begs to differ with you. (laughs) Oh, and it's your fault. (laughs) Kind of, sort (laughs) of. Don't want to, you know, blame you, but hey. (laughs) Yeah, so we cut back to the Smithsonian, and... After several quick, unnecessary cuts to pictures and models of various predators and hearing them, you know, the eagle screech, the snake hiss, and the mountain lion roar. What does the fox say, though? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We uh, focus in on Garcia, and she has gotten off the phone with Hotch and is telling Gideon that the mother's name is Mary Breitkopf, and she's from Manhattan, and... Then all of a sudden we see Gideon flashing back on his conversation with Frank in the diner. We see him sitting with Frank and Frank being obsessed with the facts. And then we see how Frank talked about a woman whose body was found in her apartment on the Upper East Side. And it was the only thing that he said that seemed, according to Gideon, that seemed to move him. And he figures he must have been talking about his mother, Mary Breitkopf. I mean, look, if this was Reed, I wouldn't question it. They could just as easily have found this clickety-clackety, quite frankly. Uh, they didn't need his memory of this to... Because to, she's, she's already got the name. They know Manhattan. She's going to clickety-clackety. I, I don't buy it. <laughs> I will say, Garcia does clickety-clack, and she finds three Mary Breitkoffs. I don't think it's that common a name, but okay. I, Manhattan is big. Manhattan is big. It's a German immigrant... Of in the fifties paradise, sure, I, I could I could buy it. Eesh. Yeah, kind of. So, uh, <laughs> yes, she has found three that lived in Manhattan during the fifties and sixties. They mentioned that Jane said the woman was a lawyer. 
Uh, Garcia says none of the ones she found was a lawyer's. One of them was a tailor's assistant who died of cancer in 1973. Uh, one was a nurse who was killed in a traffic accident. And of course, we'll talk about the last one who actually has a record and has been arrested 63 times for solicitation. She still appears to be alive and living in Manhattan. Oh, yay. yay. Good for her. Uh, so Gideon has Garcia look for a story of a woman being dead in her apartment for over a year on the Upper East Side. And AJ, almost before he's even finished the sentence, Garcia said, nope, <laughs> it does not exist. She clickety-clacked that one pretty damn fast. Yeah, and, and uh, look, we are talking about uh, the only reason that he thinks that, that the woman was found dead in her apartment is because Frank told him this. A pathological liar who's always got another agenda. And if they want to make it that, oh, he tripped, he tripped up. By saying this, it still doesn't mean he was telling the truth. Like, the fact that they found the name. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that, no death certificate. She appears to be alive, but she's the only one of the three who does appear to be alive. So why don't we just go check on her door? It's still the next step. Meanwhile, Garcia gets a call from Hotch and sa he says they have someone on the phone for Gideon. Okay, fine. Uh, so it's Tracy Bell. She's uh, obviously... In peril. She mentions to Gideon he saved her once before. Does he remember? And of course, Gideon says he remembers. She asks him to help. She's scared. She just really wants her mom. Then Frank gets on the phone and Gideon is just like, I'm going to get you, you bastard. Gideon is like not happy with Frank as he should not be. <laughs> um, Frank says that he chose a train station to meet because he knows that Jason loves trains. He saw all the toys in his apartment, and then he hangs up. Garcia says she didn't have time to trace the call. She asks if she can do anything. Gideon is busy writing out a note, which he hands to Garcia, tells her to call Hotch and read it to him. He'll know what to do. And he grabs his weapon, starts to leave. <laughs> Garcia asks him what he's going to do, and he says... End this. Yeah, and this was just awkward directing combined with the closed captioning because Garcia Garcia gets the note here. Give this, you know, read this to Hotch, which is just weird. <laughs> call him right back and, and say what you need yeah. to say. Like it's two seconds; it's not going to take that much longer. But anyway, but as she's as she's looking, you see parentheses zipper unzipping, <laughs> and you hear <laughs> yeah. zip. And like, what the hell is Gideon doing? And when you cut back, he's holding the gun. So clearly he unzipped a bag of some sort that his gun was in. But it was really touch and go there for half a second. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Uh, yeah, I. Yeah, that was a little awkward. Zip Gideon, what are you going to do now? <laughs> Thankfully, we cut to a break at this point. You're not eating Gideon, are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we come back from our break, and we are at Union Station. There is a SWAT team, a, a tactical team, running throughout the train station. They've all got their weapons drawn. Morgan, of course, is there. Uh, he does a quick check-in to see if anybody has anything. Uh, nobody else has anything. Uh, Hotch lets them know. 
Uh, Prentice is there with Hotch. She asks if Gideon said where he was going. And Hotch says uh, he'll be here. She wants to know, yeah, but if he's going to be there as an agent or as an executioner. <laughs> A little harsh, Prentice. <laughs> uh, someone reports, comes in on the radio, says they have eyes on the target. They have a clear shot. And Hotch answers Prentice's question, saying, well, they're about to find out. We cut to Frank. He's sitting calmly on a bench in the train station on a platform. Uh, while Morgan and the SWAT people come up, they start clearing civilians away from the platform. We cut to Reed and JJ in Manhattan going to check out Mary Breitkoff's apartment. Before they go into there, they are with other police, too, I should mention. But in a very nice touch, JJ uh, says to Reed, look, no matter what happens, we are not going to split up. Are you clear on that? And uh, Reed says he's crystal clear. So, well, yeah, it's a great a nice call back to the Super Bowl episode and the, the Vanderbeek of it all. But also, it's kind of the timing is kind of funny. It's like, where is he going to go? You're, <laughs> you're in a small hallway yeah. in a New York City apartment. It's not like he could go around the barn and get lost in an open cornfield. <laughs> <laughs> right. Frank is uh, back on the train platform, and that's where we've cut back to. Hotch has come up to him, and Hotch asks him where Tracy Bell is. And Frank says, well, do you have something for me? And Hotch says, no. (laughs) And (laughs) Frank says, well, then you're going to never see her again. So Hotch talks into his watch radio (laughs) and uh, tells them to go ahead and bring her in. And Prentice brings Jane out. Uh, up onto the platform. Frank gets up, looks very happy to see John. Yeah, by the uh, way, this was the, this was the worst, worst bluff ever by Hodge. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Frank, I'm sorry. We looked. We tried. We just we, we just don't have her. Mm-hmm. All right, we have her. <laughs> Bring her <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Did not uh, try to run with it for any length of time. Frank looks so happy to see Jane. And then Hodge says again, where is Tracy? We cut back to the apartment in New York. We see the door unlocking, not being kicked in, I guess, because Morgan isn't Morgan's with this team. Hey, no, it's, but also, it's one of those New York City apartment doors. You cannot kick those in. Those are like good quintuple point. locked with a bar from behind. You need the key. And uh, we see what I'm assuming is the super there. And I'm assuming he's the one that unlocked the door. JJ tells him to stay there and wait there. I don't even think he needed to wait there. He could have gone about his business. I wouldn't have stayed near where I think the cops are running in to to maybe shoot somebody. And this this looks like the type of building where he's used to this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. So they go into the apartment and actually JJ takes the lead. Miss, hey, let's not split up, (laughs) takes takes the lead, which is consistent with her character. But I just want to remind her, she's even running ahead of Reed there. Reed, who has actually shot a few people. (laughs) But anyway, we cut back to Frank and uh, he's yelling across the way to Jane, asking if he if she thought that he wouldn't come looking for her. And Jane is like, you killed two innocent women. And Frank says that without her, he's completely lost. Uh, Emily asks him again about Tracy. He says he's not going to say anything until they're safely away. Jane says to him, she's not going to go. She can't go with him. And Frank says, look, I'm not going to be taken. And without you, I am not going to stop ever. And at this moment, Gideon has arrived. He's got his gun pointed at Frank. 
and he starts going off on the details of Sarah, who uh, obviously Gideon is very distraught over her loss, starts saying Sarah was a doctor. She had three children. She worked and ran a treatment center for cancer patient. And Frank just asks Gideon if he knows the birders term twitching. He explains that that is the pursuit of a previously located rare bird. So he is making a, meta- a metaphor there. <laughs> <laughs> metaphor! <laughs> so, yes. But Gideon ain't having it. Shocker, when the walls fell. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He says, hey, you took the lives of hundreds all because your mother was a whore. <laughs> wow! He just comes out with it. Uh, and that clearly does affect Frank because he stops smiling at at Gideon at that point. And Hotch lets him know what they have. Mary Louise Breitkopf, single mother, German immigrant, lived on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, gave birth to her only son, Frank Breitkopf, a bright but strange boy, a problematic boy, one that only a mother could love. His needs were such that even working three jobs weren't enough to provide so then she had to turn to the world's oldest profession. Uh, she didn't let she didn't let him out the house, so he was there to see everything she did, because she wasn't going to let him out near the world. And as Hotch is saying this, we see JJ and Reed searching the apartment, and then they find the quite desiccated corpse of Mary Breitkopf. We can assume. Yes, one might say she's been mummified. Joke of the season, joke of the season (laughs) (laughs) They do hear a cry from the closet And they open it And thank God, AJ It is Tracy Bell, alive and well Thank goodness indeed Uh, Gideon cut back to him He's saying, you're not a rare bird, Frank There is nothing special about you you're common, you're pedestrian, you're boring. And Frank just calls out to Jane, says, hey, we don't fit in this world. No one understands us. No one understands who we are. And Gideon says, hey, Jane, he sees you as his mother. Nothing more, nothing less. Frank asks her if she's ever been happier than when she was with him. And she says, crazy Jane coming back. She says, no, never. And he says, didn't we have fun? And Jane starts to walk towards him as she answers, so much fun. It's like a, it's like Frank is a vampire and she is under his thrall. <laughs> mm. Yes. Now that's a good metaphor. <laughs> Instead of this ridiculous bird thing. Uh, <laughs> tweet, tweet, tweet. <laughs> so, yeah, she starts to head over to him. And Frank says, come with me now. It doesn't have to end here. Uh, I might beg to differ. <laughs> but anyway, she runs to him. Gideon yells after her. And I have to say, AJ, worst CGI I have seen in the entire series to this point. Frank and Jane jump off the train tracks in front of an oncoming train This looks so phony. This looks worse than the flying bird 
from the season premiere, uh, the not even the season, the the premiere episode of the show. Yes, well, that was know, bad CGI. That was bad. This CGI. was worse. Gideon loves birds, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't even want to discuss it. I mean, it it looked phony, right? Or am I overhyping hey, the, the badness of it? <laughs> Did. Did Carradine and Madigan jump in front of a moving train? No! So obviously it's 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 effects, but yeah, not the greatest. But yes, they just leap right off the platform. And even though this is this is a stop on the train. Clearly, yeah, the train wasn't stopping. It was going. <laughs> this, this train did not stop, it just went right on through. And yes, there are train stations where that happens, certainly. It just it just it, it's amusing. <laughs> and I think they just I think maybe the sound let me down because they just disappeared, but we didn't hear uh, any kind of impact at all. You wanted a, a, a meaty thwack. Yeah, exactly. And then I would have felt a little bit better. Uh, but anyway, they <laughs> I did. said I didn't want to discuss they it. Did. And then I, they I dead, <laughs> dead, dead. So, yeah, that was his plan. Yeah, we can still we don't have to end here. And then we jump in front of a train. <laughs> what was his point? He's a liar. He's a liar. <laughs> it's one last victim. Yeah, sadly, uh, Crazy Jane uh, could not resist. So uh, we next cut to a little bit later. We're in the interior of the train station. Uh, Gideon's sitting in a bench and uh, Hotch is walking up and he has Tracy Bell on the phone. She just wants to thank him for saving her yet again. <laughs> um, Gideon says she's welcome. Tracy, we cut to her. She's handing JJ the phone back. And for some reason, Reed wanders back into the bedroom to look at the mummy again. And, and all uh, the flowers around it, which some of which were fresh, which means that certainly Frank kept going back and visiting. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, we cl- and we, then you know, we, we start the episode with Gideon buying flowers and we close the episode with Frank buying, having bought flowers. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then Hotch's voice comes on to remind us that this is a flashback, as he tells Strauss. <laughs> and that was Saturday. Now Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As uh, as Hotch tells uh, Strauss, once again the team had battled a ma- monster and won. And Strauss tells him, "Look, the future of the BAU is not in the balance here. However." The residual impact as a result of all your crazy ass investigations. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. Everything that every cause has an effect. And Hotch says he understands this. But guess what? Strauss just doesn't feel that Hotch is effective anymore in his post. And we've seen that this very episode was like, you know, even Morgan was questioning, should we be doing that? Like, this is not anything we don't know. So it's not. Come and come. It's not like this is a mustache twirling villain here. I mean, in some ways, she's right. But Hutch, who I feel like he's maybe learned this from Gideon. But anyway, he has already scanned the room. We saw that earlier in the episode, and we see him again scanning the room now. And he starts to give Strauss a profile of herself. Uh, he starts talking about the modern furniture in her office, the strategically placed magazines, the framed diplomas, the art on the wall, and... They're all in conflict with her family photos. She points out he he points out she has three children, but he favors the middle one, her son. And and Strauss is like, hey, what do you think you're doing? Don't 
don't you start doing this. And Hotch is like, of course, you love all your children, but not like your son. And uh, she's like, that's enough. And he says, the bonsai that you obsessively nurture to compensate for the feelings of your failure as a mother. <laughs> and Strauss is like, Agent Hotchner, I said, that's enough. We're not talking about my position right about now. We are talking about your position. And as your superior, I am questioning your ability to lead your team. So Hotch, you know, once again, goes into profile. He says, let me tell you about my team. And I, I will read it all off because he does bring up everybody. He says, uh, Agent Morgan fought to protect his identity from the very people who could save him. Why? Because trust has to be earned. Fame? You want fame? It has to be <laughs> earned. And right here is where you start paying and sweat. Karofsky! Um, yeah. <laughs> trust has to be earned. He says, read. He's in, reads intellect. It's a shield which protects him from his emotions. And at the moment, his shield is under repair. Prentice overcompensates because she doesn't yet feel she's a part of the team, although she doesn't really have to worry about that. Every day, Giroux fields dozens of requests for our teams, and every night she goes home hoping she's made the right choices. I like that's all that's bad he can say about JJ because he knows she a badass. That's right. Uh, Sometimes she feels bad because we can't save everybody. Well, okay, that's normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Garcia fills her office with figurines and color to remind herself to smile at the horrors that she has to see on her screens. And Agent Gideon, in many ways, is damned by his profound knowledge of others, which is why he shares so little of himself. And yet he pours his heart into every case we handle. Guess what? I stand by my actions and I stand by my team. And if you think you can find a better person for the job, good luck. I thought that was a pretty good speech from Hotch. He, he knows his team. He is quite uh, familiar with his team and what makes them tick. I mean, thank goodness he didn't go. And L was a really <laughs> bad mistake and I probably covered up a murder that she did, even though I knew she did it. And, you know, I really was the one who brought her onto the team in the first place. And, oh God, no, I'm, uh, and moving on. <laughs> yeah. So... I think I just had his throw the mic moment down, so he turns to leave. But uh, Strauss says to him, uh, Agent Hotchner? And he turns around and he's all badass because he knows exactly what she's going to ask. He says, how do I know you favor your, favor your son? I'm good at my job. Boom. <laughs> second Snap. mic drop. He pulls the second <laughs> mic out of his pocket and drops that. <laughs> yes. So then we cut to a shot of... Gideon putting in a picture into his notebook of Sarah Jacobs. That's sad. And this is clear. I mean, it's even more sad because it means that as much as Gideon profiles Frank, Frank has profiled Gideon perfectly too because he said, you're going to have to put her picture in another book, you know, mm -hmm. put it on another list in another book. And this is exactly what he does. He has that book too. <laughs> yeah. The book of the ones he's lost. Yeah. So now we cut back to Strauss talking to someone. We don't see who. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she's saying, I put you in the BAU. I knew how badly you wanted it. Everyone did. You weren't exactly shy about letting us know. But there were those who didn't think that assigning you to BAU was a good idea. And at this point, I already I, I think most 
people can already guess who she's talking to because we've only had one person uh, recently being put into the BAU. But Yeah, although at least they did a decent job. She says Agent Hotchner th- like three times in the first two sentences. So it's like uh, you're conditioned to think that she called Aaron back or something. Like, get back in here. I want one more thing to say to you. So, eh. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, fine. It's it's a nice reveal to end the, it, yeah. end the episode. So uh, she says they thought you were too reckless, but I believed in you. Well, it's time for you to pay back the faith I had. Your team is in trouble. They've lost sight of the big picture. I believe they are reckless and time at times out of control. And it's time for Agent Hotchner's career to come to an end. And if you want to stay in the BAU, as the camera circles around and we see Emily, Agent Prentice. You're going to help me make that happen. Dun, dun, dun. End of season. <laughs> yes. Pretty, that was a decent uh, cliffhanger. I mean, I, I, it was decent. I, it, I, what, I didn't I like, hate it. what I like about it is that, it, it, A, it's, it, you know, shows that the show already knows it's coming back for another season. So that's like, um, B, it's, uh, it's stakes raising, but it also answers a question because from the moment Prentice got there, like Hodge is like, well, I didn't, I didn't ask for you to get in you. Like they were confused as to how she got there and who would have approved this and how did it happen? And there was always this mystery about it. Uh, now we know. Uh, Strauss said, yeah, oh yeah, I approved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now you owe me. Exactly. It it wasn't uh, Senator, I mean, Ambassador uh, Prentice at all. It was yeah. this woman, exactly. Strauss. And it's and and it's it's like it's it's doubled on the fact that again, sometimes when you're defending people, you give your enemy ammunition. And in his rousing defense of his team, Hotchner pretty much lets slip. But Prentice doesn't have to worry about anyone trusting her. Right. Because we all trust her. So, like, excellent. Right. My plan is working perfectly. Thank you, Hutch. <laughs> so, we're going to see Jane Atkinson again. <laughs> this is what we're saying. <laughs> Clearly. Absolutely. She is not a, a shadowy figure one and done this time. <laughs> Love it. Well, that is the episode. That was our finale. What do we think in terms of our barometer, AJ? Do we feel like the team won this episode? Oh, hell no. (laughs) This is a complete and utter L. The only reason, only reason that they uh, quote unquote caught Frank is because Frank told them exactly where to meet him. Uh, They were fortunate to figure out where Tracy Bell was. Uh, but I mean, they pretty much delivered another victim to him with, with Jane being there. Uh, yeah. When the unsub commits suicide and claims another victim in the process after killing two people that you've already, you know, killing, uh, someone you've already rescued and plus Gideon's friend who was a complete innocent. No, this is an L, uh, sorry to say it's, it's an L to close out the season. Well, it was one L of a season, eh, AJ? <laughs> yes, L indeed. Uh, so, uh, Fi- yeah, final record of the season was uh, 10, 6, and 6. So, uh, a winning season, but not exactly something I would write home about. In fact, one might even say that this shows that they were a little erratic, reckless, and out of control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> one might say that. Uh, great. So... That was the season. 
Do we have any season-ending festivities such as three questions, AJ? Yeah, three questions. We're not going too crazy into the uh, into the recap of the season. This, you know, because this is a story that continues for many, 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 many years. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm glad we were able to get through this season because I think uh, this episode definitely kickstarts what I would consider the golden age of Criminal Minds. And uh, it's going to be really good episodes pretty much on a week-in, week-out basis from this point forward. Yeah, there's a clunker here and there, but I think you'll you'll uh, learn to uh, really get into the good stuff now. And, and, I can't wait. I can't yes. wait. And I'm already impressed with what I've seen so far, so yeah. I'm, I'm happy. Let's, let's wrap up the quiz for the year. Three questions uh, inspired a little bit uh, by this episode of Criminal Minds. Question number one. In what movie series do we see the evolution of the relationship between Frank and Jane and the many murder attempts that go on around them? Uh, (laughs) This is... What movie series? Fun with Frank and Jane. Uh, Who are... What... Frank. So I'm assuming we have characters named Frank and Jane. I'm not the actors that play Frank and Jane. These are characters. Yes. Okay. But it's a series. Huh? Series of movies. Yep. I don't know. I'm not going to take too much time thinking of it. I'm just going to name a movie series and uh, hope for the best and expect the worst. Uh, and say uh, the Fast and the Furious. That would be a, a lovely guess because it is a movie series, but no, must kill the queen. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo, the Naked Gun movie oh. series. Lieutenant Frank Drebin yeah. and Jane, his yeah. eventual wife, played by uh, Priscilla. Elvis's uh, <laughs> Priscilla. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Priscilla. Yes. I should have got that one, but I wouldn't have thought of it. So good one. Good one. Nope. Frank and Jane. Frank and Jane. Uh, the, the, would we say the uh, less scary duo? <laughs> yes. Of, <laughs> of the two, yes. Perhaps. Indeed. Nice one. Uh, here we go. Question number two. In March of 2021, a YouTube video went viral of what event which horrified onlookers in New York City? This is a question based, inspired by yeah. the season finale of season two of Criminal Minds. In March of 2021, a YouTube video went viral of what horrific event caused onlookers to lose their freaking minds screaming in horror in New York City. Wow. So this was not Pizza Rat. Uh, Not Pizza Rat, no. (laughs) Uh, So we have an event that took place, a train, onlookers. Uh, I don't recall. I'm sure I'll recall as soon as you give me the answer. Uh... I'm going to say the uh, the water came in and flooded, and somebody caught it on camera. I, 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 the flood. Yeah, that's a, a sure. People might have been horrified. This is not what we were talking about here. <laughs> what are the two things that we learned in this episode that Gideon loves above all? Trains and birds. This was a pair of pigeons 
dragging a third pigeon over to the edge of the train tracks and hurling him in front of a train. <laughs> what? That's shocking. I didn't hear about this one. <laughs> oh, this video was everywhere. Uh, everywhere. Uh, you will have to look up pigeons killing their friends. <laughs> I, I, I know what I'm doing immediately after recording, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah this this is, this is and just the people going oh look whoa there's just pigeons on the on the platform drag 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 what what what, what? no 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 <laughs> uh, and the CGI on this was very very uh, realistic much more realistic yeah <laughs> perfect all right something to do all right let's 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 close out the season let's close out the season in fine fine fashion here I'm gonna preview season three. Right. And here is what we always do. A little preview. What is the plot going to be? Which of the following four choices? Multiple choice this time, yes. Which of the following four choices is involved in the plot of season three, episode one, entitled Doubt. Doubt. Is it A, a college campus is thrown into chaos when a killer starts to cull the co-ed count? Is it B, Gideon, still freaked out by Frank, begins to doubt whether or not he should quit? Is it C, Prentice? begins to question which side to back, Strauss or Hotch, in the battle for the BAU? <laughs> or is it D? The BAU's credibility comes into doubt when the killer they've caught is still in custody when another murder is committed. Ooh, these are all good. I know how you like to go back and forth between ones that might seem relevant to what we just saw in the episode versus new cases, but I feel like we just did that last week, so maybe this week it actually is going to reflect something we just saw. So as much as I want to appreciate your alliteration on the killing of the culling of the campus However, it was phrased that was going to be the choice I go for that was going to be. But instead, I am going to say the answer is Emily is in doubt to which side she should take uh, between uh, Strauss and the rest of the team. Okay, that is your choice. Uh, well, first of all, I would like to say that in honor of us meeting our most devious unsub to date and finally uh, putting Frank to rest, I felt I would be at my most deviant self because the correct answer, Kintad, is all four. What? All four of these things are the plot of season three, episode mm. one. College campus, killer in custody when a killer get, murder can take place, Gideon begins to doubt whether or not he should stay with the BAU, and Prentice is questioning which side of the battle she needs to be on. That is all going to take place in Season 3, Episode 1, which was originally Season 2, Episode 24, which is going to follow right on back 
of of the episode, uh-huh. but because it was involved with killings on a college campus and a little incident in Virginia took place at the same time, oh. they said, we're not airing it, and we'll just let that one be the season finale, and we'll just push this back to next season. Oh, I got to think about the times, but uh, I mean, you, you played a trick on me anyway, so I wasn't going to get, you know. Exactly. But- but wow, that's All a lot. All four. <laughs> that's a lot. Is it a one-hour, one-part episode? Yeah, just go. Uh-huh. It's a season season kickoff, baby. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, I am looking forward to talking with you about that next week. But uh, for now, let's call it a day, AJ, for this episode. Let's call it a season. Let's call it a day, and then let's onward and upwards for season three, where we're going to accelerate like a runaway freight train. <laughs> And maybe next week or or sometime soon we can go over all of the various predictions that are now going on because I have completely lost track of what I'm supposed to be keeping track of. But I know you do keep track of all of that. Uh, We do indeed. And we can go over those next week. Sounds perfect. All right, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you had a good time. Uh, Please be sure to subscribe to rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to spread the word. Let your friends know about us. You can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. Ah, for AJ Mass, this is Katat Svensgaard slowly losing his mind saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. Trains, like time and tide, stop for no one. Jules Verne.